Good morning, beloved Orangewood. Y'all doing well this morning? I was looking at you when Allison was giving the announcements thinking, is anybody awake this morning? All right. Hey, what a privilege we have to worship Jesus. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the gospel of Matthew, uh, we are resting. We're kind of in Matthew five in this season of Lent. We're looking at this incredible sermon on the Mount that Jesus has preached uh, and preaches to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Uh, oftentimes he will say, you have heard it said, but I'm going to tell you how it really is. And incredible that Jesus has the ability to take what we have heard said and to say, even with the Bible, but this is what it really means. And the beauty of this is this, is that God wants to show you his word and show you the beauty of his son this morning. And may his Holy Spirit come and allow all of us to see clearly how wonderful and beautiful this Jesus is. You might have heard it said, just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean that I can't look at the menu, right? Have you heard it said? Just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean that I can't look at the menu. Well, apparently some researchers in Japan around 2009 said, well, that's not altogether true. Uh, They did some uh, laboratory studies with rats and mice, and they realized that just thinking about food causes our bodies to start storing fat, Well, really, when you hear the phrase, just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean I can't look at the menu, isn't usually referring to anything that has to do with food. It's usually said by a married man or maybe a married woman uh, when they see the beauty of another and they realize that, hey, I'm in a relationship, I'm in this marriage relationship, I'm on a diet, but it doesn't mean that I can't admire the view. I can't admire the venue. I can't admire the menu, so to speak. Well, Jesus is going to use that phrase today because, again, there's those who want to justify themselves saying, well, I'm not really committing adultery. All I'm doing is looking at the beauty of a woman and, yes, lusting. And Jesus will say that even lusting in your heart is grounds for adultery. I mean, that's just like adultery. You have heard it said. He says, well, let me say to you that if you have lust in your heart, you see, it's the matter of the heart. Now, last week, uh, these last couple of weeks, I'm trying to tell us that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart because it's the heart that's the matter. Uh, the heart of the matter, well, it's the matter of the heart. Well, why? Because it's the heart that's the matter. And as we look at this text, again, it's quite interesting because Jesus is not giving us a new law. Uh, he's not giving us a new story. I just had a conversation this week with some friends saying, it seems like there's a God of an Old Testament and a God of a New Testament. There seems to be about law over here and grace over here. It seems to be two different parts of a story. How do they make sense? But we see that the whole story is about Jesus. The whole story is about God and how we can relate with him. Uh, and so he's not giving us a new law. He's basically saying this that I have come to fulfill the law. Incredibly, all the requirements that holy God has for us, God provides for us. So Jesus comes to fulfill the law, but he also does this. He, he comes to magnify the law. He comes to, to shine light on what it really means. So here's this young Jewish rabbi who has the audacity to look at Torah and the law of God and say, well, you've heard it said, but let me interpret this for you. And he has every right because he is God's son in flesh. I mean, he is the word in flesh. 
Let me tell you what this is actually doing. He was, he was doing this in a way that he's magnifying the law. You've heard it said things like, you shall not murder, but I tell you, you shouldn't hate your brother. You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you, lust is a problem. And he's speaking specifically to those who are trying to, to justify themselves in the law, to, to do to moral religious people to say, I've done enough, maybe seven out of 10 for God to love me, for God to accept me. And he's really showing us the law to say, oh my goodness, no one is keeping the law. No one is, is not guilty or not innocent because of the law. We've all broken it. But people who try to justify themselves with religion, one of the things they always try to do is they try to lower God's standard. They try to say, well, this is what it really means. And, and it was happening in Jesus's day. Even with divorce, they looked at the fact that the law said you could give a woman a certificate of divorce. That Moses gave them that ability. And it says in the book of Deuteronomy, if, if she doesn't find favor in your eyes, and, and you can give her a certificate of divorce. Well, this was really taking favor in your eyes. It was like, uh, they, they said, if she burns my dinner, I could divorce her. If I found somebody better, I mean, they've taken it and they've just lowered the standard to say, I'm okay. And they've also elevated their own righteousness saying, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a seven out of 10 guy. I'm okay. And Jesus is, is like only Jesus can. He's like taking the light of God's word and he opened it up and says, listen, we're not okay. There's no one who's doing this. And what he's doing, and, and this, is, this is how gracious God is. He's showing us our desperate need for the gospel. He's showing us our desperate need for Jesus to come and to do that which we cannot do. We're going to look at this text and it's going to say whatever hinders us from keeping God's word, we should cut it off. It's pretty drastic. We're going to talk about that. And we got to realize that that there is a radical call that God gives us to obedience in him. We can't get around it, but it'll drive us to Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things I got to tell you. And one of them is this. The fall of man and when man rebelled against God and, and fell into a state of sin and rebellion, the fall of God has affected everyone's sexuality. There's never been a man, a woman born that wasn't affected and always, including sexually by the fall. All of us together, every single one of us has issues that include sexual issues. So none of us has the right to stand as judge over others. Now, my issues might be different than yours, and yours might be different than theirs, and, and theirs might be more clearly seen as, oh, look at those issues. But we got to realize that God's word says that all of us have fallen short of God's glory. So instead of being quick to throw stones, we should examine the log in our own eyes and see our own junk and realize that we're all a mess. We're in this together. But just because we're all a mess... Just like it doesn't give us the ability to throw stones, nor does it give us the ability to do what God has never asked us to do. Say everything's okay. That it just doesn't matter. That that's your issue. And if that's what you like, that's fine. This is what I like. This is fine. What's good for you is good for you. And what's good for me is good for me. And that's where we've gotten as a society as well. But we've got to realize that God's law with God's word is God's word. And he, he's the one who tells us about how things like sex and marriage should work. And it's not to be determined this by us. But again, Jesus is going to deal with the heart of the matter. He's going to be dealing with lust and divorce and cutting out anything that keeps us from following God's word. Now, this is a PG-13 sermon. Um, 
not going to be much different than most sermons. And we've dismissed our younger kids. But I promise you, the things said today in my sermon are... (laughs) I mean, nothing different than when you watch TV, when you go home or even see a commercial today, for goodness sakes. But this is God's word and we got to talk about it. And we're God's family. We got to discuss it. Now, I got to tell you also, one of the biggest challenges I have today, what makes me most nervous is this. We're going to talk about lust and marriage today. And I'm going to try to do it in one sermon. And I'm going to try to do it from the text that God has given us today. There's so much more to say about everything. I mean, so, so some of you are going to leave here thinking, oh man, that was interesting. I wish I had more. And some of you said, well, you know, he dealt with this, but he didn't deal with that. And let me just acknowledge to you right now, there is, this is, we, I could spend the rest of my career preaching about lust and marriage and sin in our society, and we could not get to all of it. So let's trust the Holy Spirit to give us what he wants to give us this morning and ask each one of us to hear the word of the Lord. So let's go back to that Sermon on the Mount. Let's find ourselves there at the feet of Jesus. Let's open up his word and pick up this sermon that we left off last week. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 30, I'm sorry, in verse 27 and read through 32. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, well, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, there's some easy stuff right there, right? Looking around here, I, I see folks with two eyes and two hands. Does this apply to us? We know it does. Verse 31, it was, all, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that any, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, the Greek word pornea, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this sermon. Wow. My heart is burning just hearing from it this morning. I just can't imagine what it was like to be those first hearers of this sermon on that mountain. And here is this young rabbi, Jesus, who's taking things that they've heard, the law of God in many aspects or oral tradition. And he's saying, well, let me tell you what it really means. Here's what I say. And God, this is what we know is to be true by your grace, your word. What your son says is most important because he is the word, the very word of God. The word of God became flesh and would dwell among us to come and rescue us. And so, Father God, because he has the ultimate and final word, may he be pleased, may you be pleased to to speak through a broken sinner like me who acknowledges at the beginning of this that I too have been so greatly affected by the fall. Everything has been affected. Thank you for being redeemed through the work of Christ. 
But God, speak through a broken sinner and give us ears to hear your voice and minds to understand your word and hearts that will embrace your truth. And, and God, give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name and, and give us wisdom and understanding. Because what does it mean to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands? What are you really asking of us to do? And may we see Jesus in all that he has done to fulfill this. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along, you'll find an outline in your bulletin. The first thing we're going to see is this adultery of the heart, the adultery of our of hearts. Again, uh, Scripture is going to be very clear from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that you and I have a similar heart condition. And the heart condition is our hearts are evil by nature. Our hearts are filled with wrath by nature. By nature, we have a heart problem. And it's not just that this, that God is calling us to a moral lifestyle of behavior and things that we do or don't do. God is dealing with our hearts. He's dealing with our hearts because out of our hearts will flow either life or sin. Out of our hearts, guard your hearts. Be on your guard for that. And because our hearts were, were evil, he's saying, listen, it's, it's not enough uh, that you just don't commit physical adultery. But the hearts that are lustful, the hearts that, that lust, uh, they too were committing adultery. I remember being a youth pastor, one of the favorite things I would do when I was with students, especially, I mean, when I was with male students, uh, I would look at them, we would get together for a meal, and one of the first questions I would ask them would say, they'll tell me, how's your lust problem? And they would stop, and they get big eyes, they kind of look around, and they start wondering, well, well, where'd you get your information? You know, I mean, well, who told you, you know, like, like they were caught, but they couldn't believe they were caught. And so I'd look them in the eye and say, well, let me tell you something. You're a 17 year old male man uh, that lives in America. How is your lust problem? Because I'm a whatever what I was, and I could tell you about mine too. See, that's just the reality of our hearts. That's just the reality of our culture. It's just the reality of, of where we find ourselves. And Jesus is going to look to those that feel like they're okay because they haven't crossed the threshold of actually committing adultery. Those who would say it's okay to, to gaze and to ponder and to wonder and, and let your imagination go. He's like, no, 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 no. That's not good. You've committed adultery in the heart. And I think that for us to understand this is to dig a little bit into the heart of adultery. So what I really like to do is just take a, a little bit to talk about sex and marriage. I want to talk about the context, why adultery is such a, a big thing that God wants to deal with. Because in their day, as in our day, sex was viewed as a commodity, as something that you, you choose to do or not do versus sex within a covenant. Sex within marriage. And God is the one who has given us uh, this, this incredible gift. Uh, God is the one who's given us uh, this gift. And he's given it to us to enjoy and enjoy fully and completely in the context of relationship. In the context of, of covenant. And, and God, this covenant relationship is so important. He's a God who comes to us and enters into a relationship with us. And he's given us this great gift and says, really, we are to 
use this gift in a relationship. Now, let me, let me say it more clearly. The problem with sex outside of marriage is that sex outside of marriage is giving yourself fully physically to someone you haven't given yourself fully emotionally. That you haven't given yourself fully financially. That you haven't given yourself fully spiritually in every other realm. It's taking one thing and saying, I'm going to give all to someone who you haven't given all of yourself in other capacities. You're seeing it as a commodity. You're not really seeing it as a relationship. And for Jesus, he's saying, listen, uh, this, this is, this is be exercised and enjoyed in this sacrament of marriage. It's be enjoyed where you're giving yourself fully to one another. That's why he says, before it happens, you should stand and face one another in my presence with a minister there. And you should vow to one another. He says, I'm going to give you everything I got for better, or for worse. I'm all in. I'm all in. I mean, on our worst day and our best day, no matter what you do, no matter what I do, it's not going to be about conditions with you and me. It's going to be about promise. It's going to be about God's promise. And we're going to stand here. We're going to vow each other's lives to each other. We're going to say we're all in. We're all in no matter what happens. That we're going to cling. We're going to leave. We're going to cling. And we're going to be all in. And at that point where we take that vow saying, I'm going to acknowledge that this one was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will become like me. The two will become one flesh. And in that context, in that context alone, should sex be enjoyed. Because sex will be fully giving themselves after you've fully given everything physically after you've already given and vowed to give everything you have. I think it's interesting. It's some... um, some commentators, uh, some theologians, preachers, I've heard Keller talk about this, of sex as a sacrament of marriage. It's a, it's a sign. It's a symbol. It's a sign and a symbol of, of ultimately giving everything you have to another. It's a sign and a symbol that says, I'm giving you everything I have. I'm hiding nothing. And, and, and I'm all yours and you are all mine. It's, it's that sacrament that points to the reality that I have given you all I have for better, for worse. Some also talk about sex. It's interesting what theologians can do with a word like that. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. How can theologians make it sound so like that? (laughs) But it's beautiful when you think about this. It's a a covenant renewal ceremony. It's basically saying it's a reminder when when a married woman and, and man come together and the two physically are giving themselves all they have to each other. It's a covenant renewal. It's a reminder that, oh yeah, we've given everything we have. We stood and we said before God that we are all in. This is, this is a, a renewal of that commitment. This is a, a practice of the reality of what we have said. You see, God, if I told you, we think I was crazy that God wants you to be incredibly enjoy sex, be free, be secure and be safe. He really does. He's given it to us. It's he, he's the designer of it. But he says for you to really be secure, for you to really be free, for you really to be as I intended, it must be within this covenant relationship. Now let me hit pause and say, now just because we're in that covenant relationship doesn't mean that there's not struggles. Doesn't mean there's not struggles. When I, when I officiate a wedding and I, I meet with somebody for premarital counseling, I say, now there's going to be the big three that you'll always have to navigate in your wedding. Now, married people, tell me if I'm right about this. I'll tell everybody, I've never married someone without telling the big three. 
I said, you're going to wrestle with money if you have it or if you don't. I have, I'm a friends with a guy who makes $6 million a year pitching one inning of baseball as a reliever. And they have some money issues, like $6 million a year, bro. I, 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 you're going to have them no matter what. You're going to have them. You have little or you have a lot. Money is going to be an issue. Family. If you came from a family and your spouse came from a family, you're going to have family issues. You know, it's funny because I said, oh, my family's great. I'm like, oh, you got to wait, wait, wait to see. You got family issues. Well, they don't do it like our family. Well, they, don't, they don't act like this. And this is our tradition. And that's your, you can have some family stuff. By the way, it's one of the first commandments in marriage is that husbands leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. And I think that's one of the most misunderstood and completely messed up. We don't do it. And so, so you have money, you have family. And then I said, the other one trumps them all. It's sex. That's going to be an issue. Because male and females are different. And, and it's just going to be different. So within the context of marriage, God has given us this great gift. But even so, we got to realize that's a challenge in a fallen world. But the adultery of the heart is really looking at the fact that it's, it's wanting something that God hasn't given you. It's taking something that's not yours. Even mentally. And that's an issue. So the second thing is this. Drastic measures to avoid disastrous consequences. I like that point, by the way. I wrote that. I felt, I, I felt good about that. You like that point? I, I like that one. It's, I like that one. But anyway. Drastic measures to avoid disastrous consequences. I mean, Jesus is saying to him, okay, can you imagine being there? Hey, listen, you want to justify yourself and you think you're okay just not like, committing adultery, but I'm telling you, lust is wrong. If you want to be okay trying to keep the law, this is what Jesus is saying. This is the heart of what's behind it. You want to justify yourself? So let me tell you, let's get rid of anything that causes you to sin. And so let's take your right eye, your good eye. Why don't you gouge that thing out and cut it off? Because your eye, what it's really going to do, it's like, and he's going to say later in this sermon in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and 22 and 23, he's going to talk about your eye being like the lamp to the entire body. And if it's light, it's good. If it's dark, there's darkness that comes in. He's going to say, so, so take your eye because it really, it all begins with that sin. It begins with our eye when we see the fruit and we see that it's good to eat and it's beautiful. When we see that, our imagination starts going. We say, man, that looks good. I wonder what that would be like. And so take your eye that's causing it and gouge it out. And take your right hand, again, your good hand, and cut it off. Now, what does a hand have to do with lust and adultery? You know, when, you, when did they cut off a hand? For someone who stole. So if you, if you really want to deal with this, let's, let's take out... The, the, the temptation to look at something that's not yours and lust after it and start imagining and cut off your hand because you quit stealing what's not yours. Haven't given that to you, cut it off. Now, hit pause and say that a lot of sermons that you could hear about this will say to you, listen, your internet is killing you, men and, and women nowadays. It's crazy. And, 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 and the things that you have there, cut off your internet if you have to. I mean, Throw out your laptop. I mean, that, that pocket porn phone that you have, get rid of it. Well, there's truth to that. But you see, I don't think that Jesus is just dealing with this moral stuff. It's 
It's very important, but it's not what he's really dealing with. See, what Jesus is dealing with with those who are trying to justify themselves through the law. And he's saying, okay, if you want to justify yourself through the law, let's take this to the next degree, guys. And if you really want to do this, if you're really serious, go ahead and mutilate your body. But Jesus is not really calling for us to self-mutilation, is he? No, he's showing us the absurdity, the absurdity of trying to be righteous on their own. I want you to see the grace of God in this. Because oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes it seems so harsh, we don't see the grace of God. Let me show it to you. Jesus is trying to say, you can't make this standard. You got to look for some other way. Your self-justifying yourself isn't working. And it won't work. You can't do it. And it's a beautiful turn toward the gospel. Look for a righteousness beyond yourself. A righteousness that comes not of works, but by God's grace through faith. Faith in the one who is righteous for you. Do you see now the grace? Do you see that what he's doing? He's, he's, he's really pointing to the fact, hey, you guys think that you can jump over the bar? Let me show you how high the bar really is. You can't do this. Turn to me. You can't fulfill the law. So then the so you have this, you know, this uh, drastic uh, call of uh, drastic measures. And you have these disastrous consequences. We've heard them. It's again, your whole body thrown into hell. I remember going to Clearwater Beach when I was at Florida Southern College. Uh, again, you know, kid from upstate New York who could go to college and go to the beach. It was like one of the greatest things ever. Um, and I remember that I was there as a college student and as a believer and there was some dude that showed up on the beach and man, he had these like two poles that he was holding on and the poles went up really, really high and in between the two poles was a sign. And the sign says, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're going to hell. And he's walking down the beach and he's looking at everybody and he's like, hey, you're going to hell. You're all going to burn. Look at you in your swimsuits. You're all going to burn. And you know, you guys know me. I'm, I'm crazy enough to go talk to the guy, Right? And I'm, I'm going to try to reason with him. I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to reason with him. I, so I, I come up on the guy with a sigh. Like, Excuse me, sir. What are you doing? You're going to hell. He looks at me. I said, no, 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 sir. I'm not going to hell. I've given my, my, by God's grace, I've given my life to Jesus. I know where I'm going. I'm not, you're going to hell. I mean, again, again, I couldn't talk any reason into him. I guess my swim trunks, maybe they were shorter than they should have been. I don't know, but I, don't think that was reason to think that was going to hell. But I think, see, most people think this about Christians. I think that Jesus is angry and that he just wants to tell us that he's got a big sign saying, those of you who've looked at porn and that's like everybody, and, and those of you who uh, have lusted and that's like everybody, and those of you who have issues sexually and that is everybody, and you're all going to go to hell. Enjoy your day. <laughs> but you see, again, there's beautiful grace here. Gehenna is the word for hell that Jesus is using. And it's derived from a Hebrew phrase meaning valley of Hinnom. And it's a, and it's, 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 it's kind of cool because it's actually, it's a spot outside of Jerusalem. It's a running ravine along the south side of Jerusalem. It's the place, right for this? It's the place where the rubbish from the city was constantly burned. Have you gone by a garbage dump? 
I mean, can't you tell, even if you don't know, if, you, if it's dark out, you can't even know, you're like, there's got to be a garbage dump around here. There's just a certain odor that comes from burning trash. Burning garbage is not the place you want to set up a, a lounge chair and break out the s'mores, right? I mean, a, a burning garbage dump is not the place to think, oh, I'm going to go warm myself by this fire. It's terrible. It smells awful. It's toxic. It burns your eyes. And what Jesus is saying about the, the, the hell of this is basically saying that, that it's true that all of the sex, all of the sin outside of what I have given to you is toxic. It'll ultimately burn you. It's not going to satisfy. It leaves you hurting. It leaves you broken. And it leaves you wanting. So avoid the hell of thinking that the world can offer you something that it can't. Jesus, uh, in this John 4, this incredible passage where he, he meets a, with a Samaritan woman at the well. And they start talking about, hey, will you give me some water? And he's like, well, you know, I got nothing to draw it from. He goes, well, if you knew who you're really talking to, you'd ask me for water. I'd give you living water. And if you're just living water, you'll never thirst again. She's like, what in the world? I want to know this living water. How, how in the world can I get it? So she said, well, why don't you go get your husband? And we'll talk about it. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. And, and she's just like, I know you don't because you've had five. And the one you're with is not really your husband. You got, you got all kinds of sexual brokenness. And I'm sure that in a culture like hers, that, that she was taken advantage of numerous times. And he was basically saying to her, you've been at the garbage dump of hell. You've been at the burning garbage dump, trying to find life in the arms of a man. You've tried your O for five. You're really O for six. It's time to look to me. The grace that will tell us to avoid this garbage dump. Let's talk about a couple of things. And again, being mindful that we cannot exhaust any of these. The burning garbage dump of pornography. Porn damages us. It damages our marriages. It's damaging the future marriage of our children. Porn will affect everyone involved. From taking advantage of the ones who we view to the unreal expectations we have for real relationships with real people in real time. One of the most interesting things that the University of Montreal, some researchers wanted to compare the actual effects of what viewing uh, graphic sexual porn has on men compared to those who don't watch it. So they, they set out, they said, we want, to, we want to see all the effects of this. And we're going to have these two groups, those who are watching it and those who aren't. And the problem is they never got their research off the ground because they couldn't find anybody who wasn't watching it. It's addicting. It's not as God had planned. It's taking something that's not yours. It's a... It's, uh, it's a perversion. Oftentimes it'll leave you in a sexual experience alone. It's never supposed to be that way. The burning garbage dump of porn. And I, I, am, I am not naive enough to not think that it's not many of us who sit at that garbage dump daily. 
And if that's you, and I've known good men and women who are so addicted that it's affected their marriages, it's crumbled their marriages, that, that the image of porn has kept them from even being able to physically enjoy sexual relationships with their spouse. They're so messed up and so twisted. But it's not just for those who are so deep and addicted. It's for all of us who dabble at that fire. The burning garbage dump of premarital sex. You know, again, it's often had, well, you know, you Christians, you're so down on sex. We're not down on sex. God gave it to us. He's all for it. He really is. But he's all for it within the right relationship. It's interesting because, again, premarital sex is basically taking something physically that you is not rightfully yours yet. And even if you say, well, we're committed to each other, we're going to love each other, we really are going to get married one day. I mean, God says, well, you don't do it until you have. And, and make sure that, that these, you give yourself fully, completely, emotionally, financially, spiritually, for better or worse, before you steal something that's not yours. It's interesting, I... Uh, Having kids in college gives me the great privilege of knowing college students, and I love it. And, you know, I love the fact that I have one son who's close enough uh, here at Rollins that oftentimes our house is filled with, with college students. And I tell you something I love about that. Well, recently I was, I was with, uh, I saw a young lady who uh, uh, has been dating one of my son's roommates for quite some time. And it's awkward because I know that when she's there, she's there. Right. And so, uh, I, I said to her, I said, uh, Hey, something about, you know, her, her boyfriend. And she said, yeah, it was the craziest thing. Uh, you know, he slept, he, he usually always has to hit the snooze, but he woke up. He was so excited about the day. He woke up before his alarm. And it took me a minute to realize that, that she knew that he woke up before the alarm. And she said, I had to look over and there he's already up, but I had to hit, turn off the snooze. I'm thinking, the amazing thing isn't that. The amazing thing is she knows I'm a pastor. She knows what I do. And, and she knows that my son is a pastor's kid. And she has no problem. I mean, zero. Part of it respects her for it, to be honest with you. I mean, there's nothing to, to hide from. She just wants you to know, hey, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend. Right there in the same place that your son has her. And so, I mean, just the brazenness of our society, of that, that's just norm. And it's almost something crazy that I'm going to stand up here and say to you that God's will for us, that that's a burning dump of trash before you have committed and vowed to one another, that premarital sex. And then there's this burning dump of adultery that, listen, it always damages. It always will. It always will leave consequences for you, your kids, if you have them, for years to come. So what Jesus is saying, too, is like, yes, he's dealing with those who are trying to justify themselves. But he's also saying, you know, cut out anything that leads you into sin. I think we got to spend a moment. We'd be wrong not to say, this is going to be a struggle for all of us. But cut out what leads you to sin. You know, many of the pastors have something called covenant eyes on their computers that means that when wherever, wherever websites we go to will be sent to someone else to evaluate. And I've had men that I've had their stuff, my best friend, that you know, send me your web stuff. So help me, let me help you and help me to see have integrity of where we are going. 
I mean, be smart. I heard the story uh, of a man who just walked out uh, on the end of a dock and just took his laptop and threw it in the water. He just said, you know, I'm done. I just can't get rid of this porn. You find other ways. But let me tell you again, whatever it is that leads you into sin, do cut it off. One of the things that this sin is most notorious for doing is to drag you away. There's such a there's such a cloud over it. They don't tell anybody. And that's the worst thing. The enemy wants you to be just in deep shame. And he wants you to think that you just, you no one would understand. I promise you the gospel can set you free. And there's men and women who will help you through it. All of us are affected by this. There's not one of us who's not affected sexually. Just know that. You don't sit here as, as some pervert that the rest of us are, are not have our own issues. And the grace of God is so amazing it can, can forgive us and it really can heal us. And even when it says cut off, I also got to say this. Paul deals with, and I think, he's, I think what Jesus is dealing with here as well, is cut off your own righteousness. Now hit, hit pause and say, what? Cut off your own righteousness. Paul in the book of Galatians is speaking to those who said, okay, we're going to take Jesus and Moses and it's going to be better We had Moses and now we find Jesus and Jesus and Moses together. This is like awesome. And here's what they're saying. We have grace and we have the law and let's do them both. Let's try to justify ourselves and let's be justified by Christ. And the whole thing had to do with circumcision. You really can't be a follower of Christ if you're not circumcised. He's basically saying you really can't be a true Christian if you haven't done religious stuff. And Paul says in Galatians 5, I just wish you'd emasculate yourselves. That's really hard language. But if you think it's about you're going to be justified with the law and religion, you can't even come close. So our own righteousness, our own, that we feel like somehow we're going to be able to please a holy God, cut it off and run to Jesus, the one who is righteous. All right, lastly, Remember, look for a righteousness of God by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. That is the gospel. Uh, God's vision for marriage. And he's, he's dealing with no easy divorces, uh, not found. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, they were saying, hey, she's not pleasing me. I'm going to get rid of her. But let me say a few things. And it looks like we got very little time. So let me say these quickly. First of all, there's this. God has told us his love story. And the Bible begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding feast. And he looks at us as the bride. He calls us his bride. So this is his love story. And marriage is his invention. I, everybody I marry, I always ask, and maybe you've heard me say, do you know who Abner Doubleday is? And most people give me the most blank stare. Who the heck is Abner Doubleday? Abner Doubleday invented baseball. And if you want to play baseball, you got to follow the the inventor's rules. And Jesus is the one who invented marriage. and Or God is. I mean, the triune God. And we got to follow his rules. And God hates divorce. It says it right in scripture. Um, Malachi 2.18. He hates divorce. Why does God hate divorce? Because our marriages should be telling his love story. Because his love story, he doesn't divorce us. That's the good news of the gospel. In Romans 8, when he asks the question, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? He will basically say, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And the word separate can be translated divorce. 
God is saying, I'll never divorce you. I'll never let go of you. God knows that divorce is always damaging. and God looks out for divorcees and those who are broken by it. He says, listen, it shouldn't be easy to divorce. The two become one. Divorce should only be acceptable or, or permitted, really a better word, is if sexual immorality. Or as scripture keeps telling us, desertion. Let me get to the conclusion. It's a heart of the matter. And he's pointing at the heart saying, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I'm saying, if you've got a lust problem, you've got a problem. And we looked at Jesus. He's the only one who ever has been pure in heart. And he fulfilled the law. But let me tell you the gospel. The gospel, he says, cut out your eye and cut off your hand. It was Jesus who was cut off so that we could be brought in. That's the whole reality of the cross. He's telling him, cut out your eye and your hand, but basically he's saying, I will be cut off. I'll be cut off from the Father so we can be brought in. It was Jesus who says, I will be divorced. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would accept the exile. He would accept the divorce so that we could be brought in and forever loved and never to be divorced. What is his vision for marriage? His vision for marriage, our marriage, is to reflect his love for us. And that marriage story will come to fruition. And there's a wedding feast you don't want to miss. And for those of us, by God's grace, who know that we all have an issue and a problem. And we all have been pointed to the law and it makes us run to Jesus. And by God's grace through faith, we have been declared not guilty. Because he was cut off so that we could be brought in. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message isn't try harder, work better, and get rid of all your junk. The message is the good news of Jesus, who didn't have a big sign that just said, you're going to hell, who has a big sign who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And anyone who comes to me will see the Father and will live. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your son, the fulfillment of the law and the interpreter of the law. And God, may that reality of the gospel give each of us the ability to acknowledge the truth that we're all a mess and we're all broken, that none of us has the right to throw stones and none of us has the right to declare what you say is wrong to be right. God, I pray for those who have experienced the pain of divorce. There's many of us. That you would remind them that that sin isn't, that, 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 that reality is something that your grace can flow through as well. And for the ones who are just absolutely trapped in pornography, oh God, give them the grace through the gospel, the power to turn to you and to continue to battle. God, don't let them hide, but let them bring this to the light, the light of the gospel, and you could set them free. And God, for those who are wrestling with uh, just the lust of adultery and um, maybe even flirting with disaster. Oh, God, give them grace. God, give each of us grace. We all need it. We all just need to know, be reminded that the beautiful good news that you won't divorce us, that we're a mess, but Jesus was cut off so that we could be brought in. Praise be to his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.